0: You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Scripture reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You may be seated. God is good all the time. time. I wanted to mention to you that tonight is our singing service. Derek said that if you want to give him some songs, he'd be grateful to have your suggestions for those songs. Wanted to also give you a little bit of an update. Last Sunday I had mentioned Mason, uh, little boy Mason, who is... um, His father works with Chad Milam. Mason is six years old and has cerebral palsy and uh, had gone into cardiac arrest. And they spent 30 to 35 minutes, I believe, trying to resuscitate him and were able to. But his mother uh, gave an update last night on Facebook. His brain has suffered global damage. Uh, There aren't any part of his brain that, that weren't affected. He was just out so long during that cardiac arrest that it was too much. But it doesn't mean that he still can't function. They just don't know which parts will or won't or to what degree. She, and I'm not reading the whole thing, but she says, remaining hopeful and strong to be by Mason through this process. It's going to be a very long road. We have to take it day by day to survive it emotionally. Every day set new goals and Uh, take the time to celebrate each one that Mason reaches. And she's listed some of the goals that he has. His kidneys are fully functioning again, which is good. Uh, His incision is healing and he'll start receiving clear liquids. He's still on the ventilator, but he's taking breaths on his own. So there's some positive things along with that. I know some have been asking for an update And I wanted to be sure to give you an update as much as as we knew. So let's uh, take a moment and go to our Father in prayer for Mason again. Father, we thank you that you love us, that you hear our prayers, that you care for us. And Father, our prayer to you is that you continually be with Mason, to be with his mother and his father and his family members, Lord. Bless the doctors and nurses and the skills that they possess, the knowledge that they have, that they can work together, collaborate, and ultimately do what's best for his physical body. Heavenly Father, we pray your peace and comfort to constantly be upon his parents. And above all, Father, we pray that your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus gave us a job, folks. He says, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded to you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age.'" A disciple is a person who embodies the qualities of their master. It's a person who follows the teachings of their master. So, when you're made a disciple of Jesus, you are made a disciple by being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then you are taught all that He teaches and follow that. So, if you've never become a disciple of Jesus, you have an opportunity this morning, and I'm telling you this ahead of time, so you can kind of let that marinate. So at the end of the sermon, we'll stand together and sing. And if you want to publicly declare your faith in Jesus as God's son and be buried with him in baptism, that'll be your opportunity to do so. It'll also be a good opportunity for anybody who is a Christian and you think, you know, I need to renew my dedication to the Lord. I've not been doing all that I should and uh, I I know better, but I've just not done better. Uh, If you want to repent, that will also be a time that you can come forward if you so wish. In one of his, I would say, probably his darkest moment ever, Job had lost everything, literally everything, except his wife. And not to be too tongue-in-cheek, but if you read how his wife responds, you kind of wonder, well, why is she still here? But Job lost all his livestock. He lost all his servants. And when word reached him that all his children were killed, Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord is given, and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He never once blamed the Lord. He never once accused the Lord. But essentially throughout the whole book, he said, Whatever God throws at me, I will always believe in Him, and I will always serve Him. So it's it's possible to be physically and mentally broken, but still remain whole in God. Job maintained that no matter what God threw, he would never forsake him. Now, Acts chapter three, if your Bible is open to this passage, of course, part of it is up on the screen uh, by request. Imagine thinking that you can only do what you've always done. We have a lame man who has been lame from birth. He's unable to stand, he's unable to walk, he can't provide for himself. The only people he can depend on are those who daily bring him and place him at the gate of the temple. Those are the only people he can depend on. So just like every day, he wakes up, knows that his legs don't work, knows that he needs a group to carry him to the temple. That's all he knows. What if he might have sometime thought to himself, what if this is as good as it gets? Now ask yourself that question. You may not be lame, but you may have something else. Is this as good as it gets? When immigrants traveled west on the Oregon Trail, most of like my generation, we know about the Oregon Trail because of the computer game. Most of us died, too, along the trail. But the Oregon Trail, you could tell the best way out there because there were ruts that kind of gave you a, a, a little bit of a direction as to go this way. But some of those ruts were so deep that if you got stuck in them, you're going to have to unload the carriage, you're going to have to work that thing out. So you, you tried to go in the path of the ruts, but you never wanted to get caught in it. You get caught in it, you might be stuck. And sometimes along the paths to the Oregon Trail, you would have signs that would say, if you get in the rut, you will be in it for the next 10, 20 miles, whatever the case is. So it's kind of nice that someone was so selfless, they said, let me go back and warn everybody else that's going to be coming this way. Maybe you're stuck in a rut. I would dare say the lame man is in somewhat of a rut himself. And I'll explain that in a second. Some have gotten so deep that you get stuck. But maybe like this lame man, you think this is as good as it gets. But I ask you the question, have you given God a turn? Have you given God a turn? The lame man depended on people. He depended on the people of God. But people can only do so much for you. But God can do much more. So. They go to prayer, excuse me, they go to temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. This is three o'clock in the afternoon. This is the time of the daily offerings and prayer. Thirty minutes ago, the lamb was slaughtered for the sacrifice. And as you're approaching, you see this great billow of smoke. Part of it is for the sacrifice, but the part that's coming from the temple, that's the incense. The priest has offered incense on the altar of incense and the altar of incense is right outside the holy of holies so whoever offers the incense uh whoever's drawing the lot to do that that is literally the closest that you can get on earth to god because you're standing there there's this altar you're putting your incense on there on the hot coals and that incense is going up and you see the veil the veil that separates the holy of holies From the holy place, you read in the Old Testament, specifically in the Psalms, that the uh, the burning of the incense was to represent the prayers of God's people ascending before Him as a fragrant aroma. So this time that they go up, and there are several three or four times uh, throughout the day that were designated as hours of prayer. So this was a sacred moment, and they're going for this express purpose. If you've ever seen footage of Jewish people, Jewish people at the Wailing Wall, you know there's this one wall of the old city of Jerusalem that still stands, and they call it the Wailing Wall. And and people will write little prayers and they'll stuff them in the crooks and crannies of the wall. You've probably seen some of the Jewish men with their black hats, and you you see them. They got a little book. They're like doing like this. Well, that's their prayer book. And the the rocking is it's almost like Derek leading singing. It's their timing that they chant or that they say that prayer. Now. If you backed up to chapter 2, verse 46, you'll see that they went to the temple daily. But there's a man who's lame, and he's laid at the beautiful gate each day. And the reason he was probably laid here is because this is as far as he could go because of his physical infirmity. Some wouldn't have said it's an infirmity. They would have said it's a, a dysfunction, a disability. And nothing that is blemished such as this can go beyond this point into the temple. So him being crippled kept him from getting as close to God as he could get. So when we look at one passage, back in Leviticus chapter 21, verses 18 and 19, this is regarding those who could serve as priests. For any man who has a defect shall not approach, a man blind or lame who is a marred face or any limb too long, a man who has a broken foot or a broken hand or is a hunchback or a dwarf or a man who has a defect in his eye or eczema or scab or is a eunuch. People would say that's not politically correct today. That, 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 that's, uh, what's that D? Discriminating. And, you, and, and some would look at this and they go, why would God be this way? It's not that God looks unfavorably at these people, but rather that in order to enter sacred space, you have to enter sacred space with a certain amount of wholeness. Because you see, deformity is a result of a fallen world. Deformity is a result of sin. Not that these individuals had personally sinned. It's the world that we're all born into. And every one of us, though we may look whole and though we may seem normal, we are as crippled spiritually as some of them were physically. There are various writings from around the uh, the time of Jesus that uh, sort of shed a light on this. And it was, in fact, true that the lame man or any of these other people with, uh, with such deformities, they could not go within to the temple courts because they thought if you bring them into the temple courts, they will defile the temple. And so these folks and, and the lame man accepted their lot. This is as far as I can go. But have you ever thought that maybe he's sitting there thinking, if I had working legs, I could enter these gates and I could be closer to God. Now he is not prohibited from participating in the covenant of Israel. He's only prohibited physically from going so far. So as Peter and John approach, knowing and understanding, the guy has accepted his lot in life, and he, he calls for them to get their attention. When you look here, verse 4, and fixing his eyes on him with John and Peter, said, look at us. And so he gave him his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now this becomes a, a, a bit of an issue later on because he does rise up and walk and everybody has seen this guy as, as they've entered the gates and now they're seeing him walk. Imagine that. Imagine seeing a guy for your whole lifetime laid at the gate. Maybe you've given him alms. You tried to help him out. Maybe you're one of the ones that carried him to the spot or maybe you're someone who came after and picked him up and took him back to wherever home was. Now you see him whole And walking. Not just anywhere, but in the temple. You and I may not understand, and we may never be able to appreciate just how great that he felt. He took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with him, walking, leaping, praising God, and all the people saw him praising, uh, walking and praising God. Then they knew it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Imagine this is the first time ever in your life I got beyond the gate, and I got beyond the gate not because of silver or gold, but because of the power of God. And, you know, sometimes when we think, all right, we've got to get up go to church. How many of you this morning, y'all come on, we're going to be late for church. Some of y'all don't care about lateness, I know. But some of you may have that, come on, we've got to go to church. we got to go. You don't have to. You get to. You get to. This man never got to, but now he has. It sheds a whole new light on what some of the psalms say. Psalm 100, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Here it is. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and His truth endures to all generations. This man knew what that line in that psalm now meant. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Meanwhile, the rest, just like us sometimes, they just go in. Well, here we are. But if you've never been able to go in as He had, You'll never understand probably just how wonderful it is to finally get in. Another psalm. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together. Where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. This was a demonstration of the power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. The fact that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection had changed everything. Everything. And a part of that was demonstrated in the miracles and the healings that some people received so that they could have faith that Jesus was the Christ. In this case, the man was made whole not just by restoring his body to health, he was made whole because the barrier that had separated him from God for so long no longer existed. Now we think in terms of physical barriers, but the barrier that every human has between them and God is the barrier of sin. But God in His love and His mercy and His kindness, He sent His Son to this earth to die on the cross so that we can be reconciled back to God through the blood of Jesus. So he had a physical barrier, we have a spiritual barrier. And Jesus is the one who removes that from us when we have faith in him and obey the gospel and walk the walk that Jesus walked. Sometimes we think physical barriers keep us from God, but actually physical barriers can actually draw us close to God. I give you Paul's thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Based on the wording of what Paul says, a lot of people think, well, maybe his thorn in the flesh was a temptation. Maybe it was some sort of spiritual battle. But the words in the text in Greek suggest it was some sort of physical, inf- uh, physical infirmity uh, uh, and, and, and that it was something that really nagged at him. Some people have suggested maybe Paul had migraines. Maybe he had poor eyesight. We don't know what it was. We really don't. We could speculate, but we just don't know. But he suffered something physically like many people do. And just like everyone who has something physical that you struggle with, we want God to take it away. And sometimes God does. Sometimes He doesn't. And in the moments when He doesn't, we need to remember the words He said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I found this... And I don't know who wrote it. Uh, The author is unknown, but the title of it is, And God Said No. I asked God to remove my pride. God said no. It's not for me to take away, but for you to give up. I asked God to make my handicapped child whole. God said no. His spirit is whole. His body is only temporary. I asked God to grant me patience. God said no. Patience is a byproduct of tribulation. It isn't granted, but learned. I asked God to give me happiness. God said, no. I give you blessings. Happiness is up to you. I ask God to spare me pain. God said, no. Suffering draws you apart from worldly cares and brings you closer to me. I asked God to make my spirit grow. God said, no. You must grow on your own, but I will prune you and make you fruitful. I asked God for all the things that I might enjoy life. God said, no, I will give you life so that you may enjoy all things. I asked God, help me to love others as you love me. God said, now you got it. Let me get you to take your Bible and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Most of you probably never heard of a guy by the name of Mephibosheth. And no, I didn't just speak in tongues. That's an Old Testament name. Mephibosheth. Next cat or dog you get, I've given you a name to name it Mephibosheth. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now, uh, you may recall that David had a very, very good friend named Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of King Saul. But King Saul didn't like David. God had already declared that David was going to be king. And so David had made a promise both to Saul and to Jonathan that he would not blot out their descendants. It was common practice that when you rose to be a king, that any living relative of the previous king, you killed. That way you would have no threat to your rule. You would have nobody who would raise up and say, I'm supposed to be there. And you wouldn't have a bunch of people that would rally around someone who might usurp. So David and John, excuse me, Saul and Jonathan both died in battle. And when word reached home... The nurse of Mephibosheth, who was about five years old at the time, she scooped him up real quick so that they could flee. But she dropped him, causing him to be lame for the rest of his life. So when we get to 2 Samuel chapter 9, David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Not so that I can track him down and eliminate the threat and make sure that nobody can usurp my throne, but to show him kindness. The, the Hebrew term is chesed. You got a that first part. It's like a cat hacking up a hairball. Chesed. It's translated 169 different ways in the English Bibles, in the English Bible. But within the idea of the term, there is commitment, deliverance and faithfulness when God describes himself as being kind to Israel or loving Israel this is the word that he uses there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba so when they had called him to David the king said to him are you Ziba and he said at your service and the king said is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God same word And Ziba said to the king, There's still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he's in the house of Makir the son of Amael in Lo-Debar. That's a mouthful. Ziba mentioning that he's lame was probably a way of saying, You really don't want this guy in your presence. You are the king. He is lame, and in those times you didn't have people with defects of any kind in the presence of God's anointed. The place where he is, Lo-debar, means no pasture land. He's out in the desert in a barren area, probably the best area if you want to hide out. King David sent and brought him out of the house of Makir, the son of Mael, from Lo-debar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face, he prostrated himself. So imagine there's in, the, in the, the, the royal palace, David is seated on his throne. Mephibosheth comes in and you hear the dragging of his feet. And then he goes on his knees, he lays flat on his face. He's probably wondering maybe even thinking, this is the end for me. Then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, here is your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I'll surely show you chesed, kindness, for Jonathan your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and he said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? He knew how the world worked. He knew his place in it because of who David was, what his grandfather had done, what his father was. I'm a nobody. I'm good as dead. I'm a dog. Uh, that was an insult in that culture. you know. Unlike today, we have dogs as pets. Dogs were not pets then. Uh, the king called to Siba, called to and uh, Saul's servant said to him, I've given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Seba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded, the servant, so your servant will do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Seba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table and he was both lame, and he was lame in both of his feet. I think it's three or four times is the mention of he will eat at my table. He eats at my table. A couple of times, he's lame in his feet. To us, we may not catch it, but the author of this Second letter of Samuel is really communicating something that was so taboo then. David the king, not only did he not kill a potential rival, but he gives him all the lands of his father and grandfather. Then, being lame, he doesn't keep him apart, but he welcomes him at his own table. So imagine the supper table of David. There you have the king maybe one or several of his wives or concubines. And then you have his beautiful daughter Tamar and and some of his handsome sons, Amnon and Absalom and Adonijah. You have this good-looking family. And then you hear... I know, sometimes I make people cry with my sermons. It's okay. It's okay. Then you hear the dragging feet of Mephibosheth and the clacking of his canes as he makes his way to sit at his spot at the king's table. When you look at it in a sense, God has made room for us at his table. Rivals we are because of the sin that lives within us. Death we rightly deserve. But God shows us kindness. And rather than excluding us, he wishes to make room, however crippled we may be. But we can be made whole when we have faith in Jesus Christ and when we become a disciple of Jesus to learn His ways, to embody His character. And we begin that with our faith, with confession of that faith, and by being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is this as good as it gets? Absolutely not, if you are a disciple of Jesus. Because maybe not here, But when the Lord returns or when we depart this life, we go to a land where Scripture says He wipes away every tear from their eyes. There is no more sorrow. There is no more death. For the former things have passed away. And our Lord declared, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. behold, I make all things new. That's the land we long for. That is our country that we shall go to by the grace and mercy of God. And if you want to go there too and be one of his disciples, you may come forward and respond as we stand and sing.